We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter. New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. As we turn the page to April, baby. We're almost there. That means the final month countdown before the NFL draft. The 2022 NFL draft. Giants have picked 5, 7, and 36 to start this bad boy off. My God, it's going to be exciting. They haven't had capital like that since 2019. And we can all hope that this one goes a lot better than that 2019 class. I mean, dear God, 2019, they took Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and DeAndre Baker in round one. I don't think you could possibly have gotten less production from those three after three years than the Giants got from picks 117. I believe Baker was, what, 29 or 30 they traded back up to. So the hope is they do better. I believe they will do better. If they stay at five and seven, it's really hard to miss in this class, I think, Nick. We'll see. I could be wrong. And honestly, I'm getting the feeling, and we'll talk about that to start this show, even though this is not what it's about. But I get the feeling it's going to be hard to miss at 36 as well if they stay there. I don't know if they'll make the decision to trade back like they did last year and still land someone like Aziz Ojolari, who I believe they would have drafted anyway if they hadn't traded back at the first original pick. Or if they look to trade up and use that pick to move back into round one, if somebody slips that they like, those are options for them as well, Nick, as you obviously know. But look, I think it's certainly within the realm of possibility. The Giants come out of this draft with three players at 5, 7, 36 that we feel like can make an immediate impact for them in 2022. And we're not saying they're going to change the team and make them Super Bowl contenders, but they could be immediate impact players, starters, and potentially more. And that's really exciting to think about. Today, we're going to do a draft profile on originally what was a sleeper in the NFL draft. I know Nick feels like he's going to go a little higher than I do, so I want to talk about it on the show. This is just guesswork by us. When you get to these prospects, these potential day two-ish, three-ish prospects, it's harder to guess where they're going to go in the draft. The mocks are not accurate by any means. 
And we don't know what NFL teams think. It only takes one NFL team to fall in love with the prospect to draft him high, as we all know. But this is a player who I think is a bit of a sleeper, less of a sleeper now. That's Greg Dolchich, the tight end out of UCLA. We're going to get to that draft profile. Before we do that, Nick, I want to talk a little bit about Jalen Petrie, who we talked about yesterday briefly on the podcast. The defensive back, I'm going to call him, out of Baylor. And I call him a defensive back because I think he can wear a wide array of hats in any secondary that he joins. Safety, I think he's shown, in my mind, and we'll talk about this, I think he's shown flashes of the ability and at least the natural athleticism and feet to play the deep half, to be an interchangeable safety who can play the deep half or do what he did best at Baylor, drive down on the line of scrimmage from that overhang role, play the slot, play man coverage, you know, do do perform well in man coverage, which he did at Baylor, by the way, perform well in a run at a run defense role from that, you know, overhang defender position or wherever really he's lined up on the field, which he did really well as well at Baylor. I mean, pro football focus had him with the second best man coverage grade from the slot and the top run defense grade from that position. I mean, those are big time numbers, big time grades and the giants like him. Why? How do we know that's so obvious? Well, they took him out to a private dinner. Like you don't, you typically see these day two prospects go out to private dinners with these teams. I know it's been happening. We've seen it mentioned a couple times with the Giants, but look, they've shown a lot of interest in a player who quite obviously coming from that Dave Aranda aggressive style defense at Baylor, similar to what Wink Martindale runs, similar to what, you know, we've talked about in the past. They like him. They see a fit for him immediately. And I want to get your thoughts on the potential of, Petrie be moving up your wish list because he's certainly moving up mine, Nick. He's becoming one of my top players I want at 36. I want to know what your thoughts are on Petrie at 36. I wouldn't mind Petrie at 36. I think there are probably other prospects that we went over a couple podcasts ago that I like more that are, you know, the same or similar positions, i.e. a Daxon Hill from Michigan. I think Jaquan Brisker from Penn State, who is a safety. He, he doesn't play the same exact position as a Jalen Petrie. And yeah, I think Petrie can play a deep half, which is half the field, but I don't know if he can be a single high safety. It's not something that was asked of him. I think he is a good athlete, but there's a lot that kind of goes into the single high type of role. We have not necessarily seen that all that often because as we pointed out a few podcasts ago, Dave Aranda used him quite often as a overhang defender, mainly the nickel slot. And he was really good in man coverage, really good in those roles for Dave Aranda and the defensive coordinator who was there previous to Aranda before he showed up on campus. I really like Jalen Petrie, but similar to the conversation we had a couple days ago, there's a lot of players that we're going to like at 36 because this draft is so deep. Yeah, there are. There are a ton of good targets for the Giants at 36. I thought that with Petrie, I started watching a little bit of him this morning because I was doing my research. I saw the Giants were interested. I saw they took him out to dinner. That obviously caught my attention. And Jordan Reed, former you know guest of the podcast, a worn winning guest. Well, I don't know if we're going to be able to get him on again, Nick. Now that he's a big shot and he works for ESPN, and he was promoted to a uh, you know key role there at ESPN. But he said you got to check out Petrie's tape against BYU. And obviously watch the game because Jordan's awesome. And I'll take I'll take his word for it. And he's right. I mean, this guy, and you said this a little bit yesterday, Nick. I think it was you who said this, or maybe I read this. I don't remember. But someone described it as like he was that, in, almost in some ways, that entire Baylor defense. Like he was the heart and soul of that Baylor defense, um, making plays behind the line of scrimmage, awareness, instincts. He has it all. Obviously, there's some question marks with the coverages. Like you said, there's some question marks with maybe the ability to play a single high role. But... 
I really like what I see from this kid. And I thought that Baylor defense was really good. I bet Baylor a lot this past season, just using that as a frame of reference. Won a lot of games betting them. I'm a big fan of Dave Aranda. They had a lot of surprise wins, despite really struggling early in the season and, and struggling in my mind to find a way on offense, to find their way on offense. So when you have a player like that who's kind of, you know, taking over for the defense in some ways and becoming that heart and soul of the defense, and you see really good tape on him. I, I'm really interested in him, especially as we talk about that new role in the NFL, like how important that overhang defender can be for your specific defense. And how many times, you know, how many packages Wink Martindale wants to run with multiple safeties on the field? Because right now the Giants really have one safety they can definitely trust. A second who's pretty solid in Julian Love, but I don't think he's anything crazy to write home about. And who knows how he's going to fit in Martindale's defense. And that's kind of it. And they need to figure out if they're going to want to run what Martindale traditionally runs with a lot of safeties on the field, who else is going to play that role for them and when they're going to find those players and, and how they're going to get those players. And Jalen Petrie, man, the TCU tape was also pretty damn solid. He had two plays on the football that I loved. One was a second and seven in the second quarter around the beginning of the second quarter where it was in the red zone and he had man responsibility against the number two receiver who bent the seam really, really tightly. So he actually had Petrie, the receiver, had Petrie's hips flipped and Petrie effortlessly just kind of pivoted back inside and got underneath that seam route and then leaped and knocked the ball away. Maybe a better pass would have actually been a touchdown, but the fact that Petrie still got his hands on the football there was wildly impressive. And then a little bit later on in the second quarter, it was a three by one set. He's over the number two receiver and he has to kind of pay attention to the number one and the number three as well, but he eyes the number two and he sees that it's going to be a quick slant and he sees the quarterback's cadence, his drop. And once he hits that back foot, he sees the eyes flash to the number two and Jalen Petrie just quickly clicks and closes downhill and just plays right through the catch point, almost comes through with an interception on that play. So he has a several plays like that throughout his film. And he also did similar things at the senior bowl. He's definitely somebody that is on my wish list. I just know there's going to be many others there at 36. There will be many others there at 36. So I don't want to pencil him in yet, but I will say this for an athlete, his size that carries his, that packs his punch. He really is a smooth mover. Like if you watch him at his pro day and those backpedal drills, he, he looks like someone who is just a natural athlete waiting to make plays on the ball. And I think there's been a steady drumbeat for him. I talked last offseason a lot about my, you know, the weight I put in those steady drumbeat type players, the players who have good tape, kind of get found a little bit, you know, fall a little under radar, then put together a really good senior bowl that opens up eyes because that's obviously against a higher level of competition. And then again, at the pro day, impress in some way. And, you know, you're not looking for timed impressions, like, but the fact that he looks so smooth in that back pedal and how he's and kind of how he's moving on the field at his size, it definitely opens up eyes for me. It opens up my eyes, at least like this is a next level athlete and he could be unlocked as a potential difference making player at the NFL level. Pete Prisco, who works for CBS Sports and kind of has his own unique evaluations of every draft class. But I also want to say I give him a lot of credit because he watches a ton of tape. I've seen his process like firsthand. And so he may have different opinions on a lot of this draft class than the consensus. I actually find that to be a good thing. Like, I think that, you know, when you see too much of the same opinions on players, and I know you agree with this, Nick, we've talked about this off pod in the past. You see too much of the same opinions on players. It almost feels like, is anyone actually watching these guys? Or are they kind of just taking what other people are saying? And you never really know. And I feel like with Briscoe, he doesn't do that. And he, he's a huge fan of Petrie. He thinks he can be honey badger level good. He, he says he reminds him of the honey badger. 
Um, and he honestly said, like, versus Hamilton, he he doesn't see as much of a drop-off. I'm sure you disagree with that, but do you see any flashes or glimpses of Honey Badger in his game? Yeah, when you look at Petrie, you brought up the BYU tape. You look at how he was used as a blitzer all throughout his tape, but specifically in the BYU tape, he was directly the reason for two sacks. Now, the one sack he didn't get, but he uh, was blitzed off the edge, and the tight end kind of tried to seal him outside the pocket, but Petrie just kept pressing his outside shoulder and flushed the quarterback towards his side. Petrie didn't give up on the play. He showed excellent competitive toughness to fight through the block and then chase him down to allow one of his teammates to come up and sack the quarterback for, I think, like a four-yard loss. He also had another sack coming from that same side. Aranda, very, very aggressive, like we talked about over the last several podcasts, and they used Petrie in that manner. But Patrick Graham would use Logan Ryan or Darnay Holmes, where it was timed very well. You didn't know if he was coming or if he was going to drop into coverage. And when you least expected it, he would come right at the snap, time it very well, and then get an edge on the protection. So I think he is very versatile kind of coming downhill, but that's not all he can do. He can literally wear so many different hats for your defense, and he's not going to be any sort of liability despite his slightly undersized frame in run support. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm a big fan of Petrie. He's on my list. I want to talk a little bit about one more piece of somewhat, you know, Giants related news before we get to the Greg Dolchich draft profile. And that would be Jabril Peppers signing with the New England Patriots. Peppers is a player who I think was loved on this podcast more than some fans liked him or more than some of the fanfare carried. Me and Nick watched a lot of tape of Peppers over the years, and we saw really good tape. Last year was marred by injury. And I ultimately don't think that the Patrick Graham defense was the best fit for him. If I'm going to be completely honest, <laughs> I felt like the Wink Martindale defense would have been a great fit for him. Credible athlete in my mind, when they first traded for him and the first glimpses I got of him, I was like, okay, he's ascending. Then I thought he really took a step forward in 2020 with the giants in pass coverage. I thought he took a clear cut step forward when it comes to his pass coverage that year. So it was definitely a bit disappointing for me, Nick, to see him his career end like this with the Giants, especially because, look, he was a young piece and he was the main piece. He ended up being the main piece in that Odell Beckham trade. And we have to remember, like when Beckham was traded, yes, at that time, quote unquote, and I agreed with it and I still do. He needed to be taken off the Giants. There was a bad blood and the there it wasn't going well. Like <laughs> the locker room was fractured in my mind in some ways because of Beckham being on that roster. I saw it firsthand when I would go cover. I covered the team at the time, cover training camp his last year. And he had his own like special, you know, you couldn't get to him after the training camp. You know, he has his special rules and you don't need that for any player. But look, when your return is Jabril Peppers, Dexter Lawrence and O'Shane Zimenez, it's not great for a guy who was in his prime, had set records early in his years at Odell Beckham, and probably could have retained something else via trade. Like, look at what Stefan Diggs brought back, who was older at the time and less accomplished. Look at what Devontae Adams just brought back, who was older at the time and more accomplished, but still older at the time. Got to remember how accomplished Beckham was prior to the Giants trade. He was elite level accomplished. Like, some of the stats he put up in his first two seasons broke records. And so when you just so I really am disappointed that this was the piece because Dexter Lawrence to me, his ceiling is capped. I've seen what I've seen out of Lawrence. I don't ever see him being a consistently great pass rusher. And I just if you're just not a consistently great pass rusher, I don't really see you having a, an incredibly high cap, you know, high ceiling value to a franchise that's trying to win Super Bowls. But Peppers could have been that guy. And it just sucks for me, Nick, to see it kind of fizzle out like that. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, injuries plagued him. He was injured in 2019 when he first came over 
to the Giants. I think it was a back injury. And then last year it was kind of zapped after he hurt his knee. I would hope him the best. He's still young. He's a Jersey guy through and through, despite the fact that he went to Michigan. But still, man, I, uh, I've always had a lot of respect for, for Jabril Pepper's game. So best of luck in New England, reuniting with Joe Judge. And I would agree, man. I think he would have been a good player for Wink Martindale, but it doesn't seem like the Giants valued him. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the Giants valued him. I think part of it is also that they kind of want to move on from some of those those big personalities in the former team that were tied more to J- Judge and just the past ways, the Logan Ryans, the Bill Peppers. Um, but look, another disappointing aspect of this is that the Pats are smart. The Pats, like the Ravens, have played the NFL's compensatory pick formula better than any teams in the NFL. They're number one and number two. And actually, by the way, People don't realize Dallas Cowboys are up there, too. They've done an incredible job playing the NFL's commentary pack uh, pick formula. But because the Patriots are well aware of what goes into this thing, they structured the deal in a certain way where it's a two million deal, one point three guaranteed. Then there's over three million in playing time incentives. But that doesn't impact the compensatory pick formula so based on how they did it. And they obviously know what they're doing. The Giants aren't going to get a compensatory pick for him. It's going to fall just short. But they would have got it if another team, it's not as wise as the Patriots, or if you just signed a bigger deal, had signed him. So ultimately, just to me, it's just very disappointing when Peppers is the main piece, in my mind at least. The main piece is 17 overall. Let's make that clear. But the Giants botched it, in my mind. And I'm sorry to say it. Don't kill me. Not botched, but look, you can do a lot more with 17 overall than than Dexter Lawrence has shown so far. But he was the second most important piece in that deal, the Peppers piece. And Ultimately, what they're going to get out of it is absolutely nothing because they don't even get a comp pick. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it sucks that O'Shane Zimenez has never developed. I like Dexter Lawrence, but I would like to see a little bit more pass rushing upside from him. I'm on the board of possibly picking up that fifth-year option, even though the Giants, it's a, it's a unique situation having Leonard Williams costing so much against the Caps. So I think there's a conversation to be had there, as I've stated several times in the past. But it does suck that the Giants didn't land a lot of long-term fixtures on their roster after trading one of the brightest stars that they've had over the last, what, two decades, three decades in Odell Beckham? Yeah, exactly. One of the brightest stars they've had. And, you know, just a player who ultimately didn't it didn't work out here with the Giants, unfortunately. But, yeah, we're moving on now. We're talking about the draft. We're talking about tight end prospect Greg Dolchich, who – you know, at this point kind of caught the attention early on in the process of both Nick and myself. 
he's starting to catch a little steam. Nick thinks he's going to go a little higher than I do. But ultimately, I think he's a player who the Giants will have interest in and should have interest in at the tight end position. So why don't you start, Nick, by talking about, and it's so funny, Nick, because my friend Scott Levine, shout out Scott Levine, is a big-time UCLA fan, and he always texts me his draft notes on players and gives me an idea of what to expect from the UCLA crew. And he texted me months ago, credit to him, Greg Dolchitz, huge sleeper in this draft. Keep an eye on him. Like He's not going to get talked about a bunch, but keep an eye on him. He's a massive sleeper in this draft. And look, now he's starting to catch some steam. So I like him. You like him, Nick. Why don't you start by talking about some of his strengths? Yeah, he is a phenomenal receiving option with huge, gigantic hands, man. This guy has one-eighth of an inch short of 11-inch hands, which is insane. He has 33 and 7-8-inch arms, which is also insane for a tight end, just under 34-inch arms with an 80-inch wingspan. And he's a freaking good athlete, dude. He tests it as a 4.69. He looks faster than Trey McBride does on tape. He can get vertical. He can get horizontal. UCLA asked him to run a lot of seam routes, a lot of deep over routes. And then he was also an option off their RPO game where he would just kind of head on into the flat from an H-back position and catch it in the flat and then use his yards after the catch ability through his athletic ability and his propensity to lower his shoulder through contact to pick up some extra yardage. I thought he released off the line of scrimmage well. He did a really good job kind of avoiding contact through his route. There was this one play that comes to mind against Oregon. It was a third and 10 in the fourth quarter where he ran this seam route and this linebacker dropped and then contacted his inside shoulder. So Dolchik had to fight through this contact. That really should have been a DPI, but he just lowered the inside shoulder and then bent the seam route right into an area that was just before where the middle of, or the half field safety was. And then he jumps up. He makes this catch with his hands away from his frame and then just takes a shot and falls forward. When you're talking about big targets over the middle of the field and somebody who can also stretch the field – don't look any further than Greg Dolchik because this is somebody who's not scared to go over the middle of the field and he has the mitts and the just ability to leap high, extend away from his frame, and then make an impressive catch through contact. Excellent in those contested catch type of situations. I'm really excited at the prospect of possibly selecting this guy somewhere later than where a Trey McBride would go. But I do have my reservations because McBride is a better blocker than he is. He, he definitely needs help as a blocker. It's not something he's going to necessarily do. His landing spot in the NFL is more as that move type of tight end, that F or that H. I think he's much better than Evan Ingram in that role. But, you know, time will tell. Yeah, look, Nick, I mean, you see this very similarly. I like a lot of what I see from Dolchich. I knew it immediately when I started watching him. On tape, and I remember watching a little bit of him during the actual season because I'm friends with a UCLA fan. We watched a couple UCLA games together randomly, and he was like, "Keep an eye on this guy for a good reason." And what I see when I watch Dolchich is somebody who has more speed on tape than maybe he tests at. Someone who actually looks game speed to me. Like I'm just comparing this to what I just recently watched. Not to throw him under the bus again or at all, but McBride, a player who I just don't see it. I, I watch it and I don't see it with him. I feel like he's lumbering. And Dolchich is not that way. Dolchich has deceptive speed in my mind, as I like to call it. And it is backed up in some ways also by the numbers. He averaged 17.3 yards per catch this season through 11 games for UCLA. Those are insane. That's an insane number for a tight end. Like you very rarely see tight ends have those kind of big play number uh, yards per catch. Now, part of that is based in my mind a little bit, Nick. I'm curious if your thoughts are 
the Chip Kelly system there, I feel like it does kind of help create big plays in the seam and, and, you know, just for this type of position, this tight end off of the play action game, off of the run action and stuff like that. But regardless, if you're putting up 17.3 yards per catch, you're a playmaking field stretching type of fast athlete that can impact the game. Like you look at the Arizona state game that he completely took over for UCLA, helped them win that game. And you look like somebody who could be fed targets at the next level. Oh, you know, in a variety of ways from the tight end position, obviously the blocking isn't there. I don't think the blocking's there for a lot of these guys in this class, to be honest. And I don't think I'm going to prioritize blocking when I'm making this pick, unless I see someone who is clearly a step ahead of the rest and blocking. I'm not saying there's no difference between Dolchich and some of these other players. You obviously talk about the rep where Kayvon Thibodeau blew him up. There's obviously some bad tape he has out there from a blocking standpoint. He doesn't really have the frame to be any kind of next level blocker. That's going to make a big jump in that regard. But right now what the giants need is not just a blocking tight end. They need tight ends who can stretch the field. They need tight ends who can be effective in a variety of ways. They need depth and they need talent because they don't have any of that. Ricky seals Jones is not an answer for the giants. He's a stopgap solution that they're hoping to get lucky on and hoping it paid dirt on and hoping he can be better than, you know, he's, or, you know, hoping there's still some untapped potential there. So, yeah, I look at Dolchich as a player who is stretching the seam, having, you know, making big plays consistently for that UCLA offense. I mean, almost every game he had a big time catch in. There are very few that he didn't make a big play in Washington. He got shut down a little bit, but, and, and obviously the Hawaii game to start the season, he wasn't involved very much as well. But other than that, even the games where he didn't have that many targets, he still found a way to make a big play in them. Yeah, I like what he has to offer. And you were mentioning that Arizona state game. You can see how UCLA designed deeper concepts for him. Even in that game, when they motioned him from the left to the right, which was the boundary and then ran him up the sideline off of a clear out route that angled its stem inside to take the cornerback in the deep zone away. And he ended up getting a really big gain on that play. But this guy, like you said, he had those design plays for him, but he still maximizes those design plays. And he's still, has the athletic ability to stretch the field both vertically and horizontally and to clear out and really just find his way in between the safety and the linebacker. He has that type of spatial awareness. He had a catch against Arizona State where it was just a quick little hitch route, something Jason Garrett would have loved to call. And the throw was really bad by by uh, DTR. It was low and it was outside. But right when he pivoted, he just basically just fell right to where the ball was going, located it, and then strong handed it into his frame, low and way outside of his frame. It showed a lot of flexibility and just ability to adapt to bad passes, which is something that you're going to need in the National Football League, especially with those quick little comeback or quick little curl hitch type of routes. So he has that within his skill set as well. I just love his big and soft hands. I think he's going to be a day two pick though. I don't think this is somebody the Giants are going to be able to to steal on day three because the NFL is looking for players like this. The NFL is looking for players like this, but I actually do think he's going to be a day three guy, somewhat in the mold of Dawson Knox. He reminds me in some ways, not always, but in some ways of a Dawson Knox type of prospect. I don't see this type of prospect going on day two. I know we're, we're a little different in that regard. I think he had, he was a Mackey award finalist, but again, he's still kind of a newcomer in my mind till I guess in some ways he's riding up boards, rising up boards. And he did have that really good senior bowl. So it's possible that it only, like, like you said, it only like we know it only takes one team to fall in love with him, but a four, six, nine, 40 yard dash. The broad jump was actually pretty good. And so was the three cone, which gets me excited about him as his potential at the next level. And he has great hand size which I think is huge, and it shows up in his game along with his wingspan. These are reasons to like him and maybe reasons why NFL scouts might like him. But 
because look, large hand, large catch radius and the uh, and the and the hands, both of those two things, Nick. I'm looking for that a lot in wide receiver and tight end prospects because I'm a big believer in you know what these receivers can do at the catch point being underrated, the ability to adjust in the air, body control in the air, uh, the ability to pluck away from your frame, to be a hand catcher. All of those things are important to me, and you see it a lot in some of the receivers who find immediate success at the next level. And that, like you said, could lead to one team or one scout falling in love with him. But just given his um, kind of late rise, late breakout, his, you know, he wasn't, what was he? The, he was the 78th recruit out of, ranked recruit out of California during the 2018 cycle. I think you put that in your article. Late rise, not a great recruit to start, not a great 40-yard dash time, and not a great frame slash blocker. I just can't see him going on day two, but maybe round three. I definitely can't see him going in round two. If you look at some of these last draft classes, the tight end position really hasn't been going all that high, highly lately, like uh, just over the last few classes. Now that could be argued that it's more based on the prospects, but I think the NFL is starting to look at it kind of like center and like line inside linebacker, off ball linebacker, where you can get these guys a little bit later in rounds three and four. I don't know though. We'll see. Well, rounds three, round three is still a day two pick. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, I don't know if he's going to be a second round pick, but Dawson Knox was a was a day or a round three pick. It's technically day two. I think Dolce can fall into that. I don't think it's a certainty. I wouldn't bet my house on it or anything. But dudes with this kind of catch radius, body control, and really just receiving ability and ability to stretch the field the way he can, not to mention the contested catch ability, the soft hands and the wingspan, which leads to a huge catch radius. NFL teams do value that, but I could see him being around in round four. I don't think that's outrageous. And if he is the giants have to target him. Yeah, I would say he's definitely a target if he's there in round four. And, and you're probably right. I mean, look, day two, day three, it's, it's semantics. I kind of feel like in some ways, day two, the round two versus round three is a little bit just like a huge drop off for me. But I can understand why, you know, it's obviously, you know, some it's there's no real like divide there. It's still the same thing. It's day two. Um, and he could go back end of round three, maybe maybe mid round three. I just can't see him going too far ahead of that. But he might. It's just there's so many receivers in this class that I just like for me, a, a tight end like Dolchich, I do really like his catch frame, uh, his catch radius, his hands, his ability to stretch the seam. All the things you talked about are things that are translatable at the receiver slash tight end position. But without that blocking ability and that two-way ability, which I'm not sure he has, I, there's just a lot of receiver prospects that I think I would rather have above him. Yeah, the blocking thing is definitely something that I do not love whatsoever. But there's not a lot of tight end prospects that have that blocking and receiving ability, as you articulated before. Bro, did you see the play against LSU where oh, he, yeah. ran a, he ran a little like tight end leak off of, I think it was a play-action boot, and it was just him in this safety and he just sprung out into space and outran this safety for 75 yards, dude. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I think NFL teams are going to see. The way he was able to, I believe he juked the guy out back inside his balance and his body control with his momentum going. You know, he's running probably around 20 miles per hour or so on that play, and he's still able to kind of cut back inside, go to daylight, and then evade two defenders before he gets into the end zone. Like, that's, that's just impressive stuff from a tight end. And so that's like a big, yeah, I completely agree with that. And you could see it also on some of the crossers he runs, like in, within that Chip Kelly offense, you can see the athleticism. And I think that's a big thing for me of why I can get so excited about watching a prospect like Dolchich, but I have trouble with a prospect like McBride because I just don't see that yards after the catch, agility slash agility slash all the things it takes to be 
a weapon to be a threat after the catch like he wasn't that play. I mean, look at what you're talking about. If anyone should go watch that play against LSU, like that looks like a receiver there. On that play, he looks like a receiver. And when you're talking about these tight ends who aren't of the Gronk Kittle builds where they're going to be immediate impact guys, or even like a Max Williams type, let's say, because we kind of knew that coming out with him as a blocker. Well, then they got to be weapons as a receiver for me to have interest in them because I've seen too many times these receiver first tight ends just not make an impact at the NFL level, be drafted in rounds two to four and make next to no impact. Some of them just fizzle out entirely. Occasionally, some of them are like 20, 30 catch guys. It's not like if you're receiving first tight end, like these two are in my mind, at least with McBride and Dolchich and most of the guys were going over here, Nick. I, you need to be a dynamic option from an athletic standpoint, in my mind, at least. I know there are some who are like, well, he could just kind of be like a chain mover type, like a, a seam stretching type chain mover type. But that's not a guarantee at the next level. Like You may just be a tick slow and not be able to break from coverage or just, you know, you're not within a system where the timing's right and the quarterback is able to read it right and get the ball to you on some of these chain moving plays. So I'd rather get a player like Dolchich. You see examples like the one you just talked about of him utilizing his, his athleticism and his yards after the catch ability to make big plays within your offense. Yeah. And this is somebody who was a receiver in high school as well. He was like a receiver tight end. He was, I think, recruited at six foot four, 215 pounds. So that's another reason why we see all this unique receiving ability that he does show. But you, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the lack of blocking and how that's going to, I think, hinder his upside. And Where do you feel comfortable selecting that? In terms of McBride, since we brought him up again, I don't think McBride is lumbering. I, I wouldn't use that term. I think he's a solid athlete. I just don't see breakaway type of speed. And when you compare the two prospects between Dolchik and between McBride, it looks on the film like Dolchik is the much faster type of player i can look up gps stats to see if that can be substantiated though yeah well lumbering i just said comparatively to what i expected when i started watching him like you saw all the hype with him top 40 pick best tight end in this class i expected a lot more when i put the tape on of him from a speed standpoint so i guess it was relative to what i was expecting there nick but it's not just the raw speed for me where obviously dolch is faster it's mostly that athleticism man it's mostly that yards after the catch ability that ability to have the lateral agility and the ability to create in space. And I just didn't see that in my mind with McBride. I, I really didn't. Maybe I need to watch a couple other games or something or check out some of the highlights on McBride where, where you can see that examples of it. But I saw it with Dolchich. I saw that athleticism. I saw the lateral agility. I saw someone who could cut and make people miss. And I just didn't feel like that was the case with McBride. And if I don't feel like that's the case with him at Colorado State, playing against the competition that Colorado State played. Again, like I watched a Boise State game. I forgot another one I watched against a team that just doesn't have NFL players on their defense and doesn't have NFL speed on their defense and doesn't have NFL tackling and size on their defense. UCLA faces a different breed of teams. Obviously, it's not the best conference in football, but if your athleticism is showing up in that moment, like, like you said, against LSU, a team that has all five stars and some potential NFL players or at least NFL quality talent, whether they realize that potential or not, it shows a little bit more to me. I can understand that. So I pulled up the GPS tracking data. Trey McBride's fastest time was 17.6 miles per hour. Greg Dolchik's fastest time is 20.6. So you're getting a three-mile-per-hour difference there, which is noticeable on tape. Yeah, it's very noticeable on tape. Um, I, you know, it's And again, I mean, there are things to like about McBride. I'm not trying to bury him. He has a really good catch frame. 
I mean, a catch radius. He has really good hands. He has similar tool tool set to what Dolchich has. And he does some things better than Dolchich. Like he has, like we talked about, the only way to really describe it is like nifty new ounce route running. And it worked a lot. Like he was a huge target hog and made a lot of plays on the targets that were thrown to him. Not many plays after the catch, but a lot of plays on them, which shows the ability that to get open, at least at that level, playing for Colorado State against those defenses. But part of it is the route running. He's nuanced. He's he's crafty in that regard. I don't necessarily know if that's something that can't be taught to Dolchich or that's some way that he was, you know, he was taught differently to get to this point now. But I'm just from a projection standpoint, I'm less so looking for those types of things that win against the level of competition that Colorado State was at. And and not trying to bury him. I just I just personally don't see it with McBride. I like McBride, but I think we've kind of covered this ad nauseum at this point since we went over it in the last podcast as well. This is more about Greg Dolchik, and I really like Greg Dolchik as well. It's just you're sacrificing a little blocking for a much, I guess you could say more dynamic athlete. Then McBride, I think Dolchik is a better athlete than McBride in general, but I think McBride might be a little bit more complete with his game because I think he can offer snaps at the wide position, which Dolchik, right. you know, that's that's a big question mark right there. Can he be? Well, functional? that was what I was going to ask you next. Like, where if the Giants were to draft him, right? We're talking about him right now as someone who, if he's there on day three, will probably be on our targets list, Nick, just based on what mm-hmm. you said earlier, and I would agree with what you said earlier. So if they were to draft him, where could he play right away? Or is this a type of player who won't will have trouble getting onto the field right away? I feel like a lot of tight ends fall into this phrase. Yeah, where are they going to play? <laughs> yeah, well, this phrase I'm about to say, it's something I heard Greg Cassell say recently, and I know it was a quote that Mike Mayock used to say. It's, can you lose slow as a tight end when you're blocking? So basically, can you do enough to right. just stay in the defender's way and allow the running back to get past that defender? That's the big question with Dolce. Now, watching his film and the blocking, he wasn't great at it during his 2021 season in college as a senior. I think at the Senior Bowl, he had a couple reps that were like, okay, he held up there. But that's that's uh, that's something that you're going to have to swallow. And, you know, the, the Giants made and took that risk in 2017 when they selected Evan Ingram. Was Evan Ingram one of those guys who could lose slowly at times? No, he just absolutely was a liability. I think he progressed as the years went on, but he was never that guy that you really want to be, even sometimes on the backside, but specifically on the play side of some of these runs. And do you trust him to block sometimes, you know, and duo blocking? It's no, you didn't really trust Evan Ingram to do that effectively. And I'm not sure if Dolce can really do that. He's much more of a receiving threat. I think McBride can lose slowly. I think he can. I don't think he's a great blocker, but I think he is capable enough to step in and lose slowly. Whereas Belichick, I have my question marks in that area. And I understand that, Nick. And I don't think any giant, I think when Giants fans hear that, they're like, uh oh, it rings the alarm bells because no one wants to go back to the Evan Ingram days. No one wants that same experiment tried again because, again, it's just like anything in life, it's recency bias. <laughs> and that's not to say it's wrong. It's just we've experienced the Ingram, Ingram experiment recently and it didn't work out. But I will say this, just thinking about the Bills offense under Dable. There were a lot of times where they just did get a lot of speed and receiving talent on the field and kind of said F it to the idea of like, let's make sure we have a blocking tight end in or let's make sure we have a bigger running back to pass protect or a fullback or something else in another. You know, it was kind of just like. Let's put this offense on the field. And again, it helps when you have Josh Allen who can kind of hang in that pocket, let the rush come and just rip from his back foot and drive a ball into a tight window. And the Giants don't have a quarterback who can do that right now. But 
And so maybe you want to craft an offense differently. I don't know what his plans are right now for a Daniel Jones based offense with, you know, factoring in his skill set. But I feel like oftentimes, in my mind at least, the blocking abilities for a tight end can be a little bit overrated just in the long run. And I'm not saying, again, this is not to defend Evan Ingram because I think Evan Ingram had deficiencies as a receiver. You know, he couldn't cut well on a dime. He didn't run good routes. He wasn't a good hands catcher. He didn't have excellent body control in the air. Those are all things that make a bad receiver. But we kind of feel like Dolchich is a really good receiving prospect. So to me, it's like if you get him on the field, even if you already have a slot in Tony or Shepard or whoever you're playing in the middle, you can use him as well in that regard. And you just get a lot of receiving talent on the field. You kind of go back to the old, like less of the Kevin Gilbride, which is like kind of the max protect, keep seven guys in and run two or three routes. And that was also the, the Jason Garrett kind of philosophy in a lot of ways. And you go back to, and I don't want to bring this guy up because he didn't mix it up well, but kind of like the Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer style of offensive, get everybody running the routes and, you know, leak them all out into the, and make more, make you make the defense have to cover more players. And if you have one more mismatch in Greg Dolchich and one more potential playmaker with the athleticism and the deep speed to kind of make something happen, I feel like that just adds to your offense. It's also interesting too. And Things can be a lot different from what Dable did up in Buffalo, but he ran 12 personnel 8% of the time. He ran 21 personnel more, and he almost even ran 10 personnel more. He ran 10 personnel 7% yeah. of the time, 21 personnel 10% of the time, according to Sharp Football Analytics. So that's an 11 personnel package of over 70%. Not every team had that much 11 personnel. Now, how much is Mike Kafka going to have an influence on this? I think a lot of that is going to be dictated about the personnel that the Giants have. I think if the Giants, say, just woke up one day and they found themselves having two really quality tight ends, they would use more 12 personnel. Right. But if they don't have that, and I don't think they're going to have that, looking at the current roster right now and just the upcoming draft, I think you're going to see more 11 personnel, which is going to showcase Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, somebody that they might possibly draft, Sterling Shepard if he's healthy, Darius Slayton if he's still there. And that's probably the best way to gain success now if we look at Dolchik, a lot of the nfl and we saw this a lot with the kansas city chiefs they had travis kelsey so i get it but they like to align in three by one sets and they align their tight end to the back side yeah you get single coverage a lot of the times on the back side if you have a really good receiving tight end who can take advantage of that one-on-one -on -one matchup back there, then you can maybe gain an advantage and continue to move the sticks. I think Dolchik has that ability to be that backside X receiver, if you want to call him that, and he can run a variety of different routes. If you do want to cross him over the middle of the field, he does that well, quickly, efficiently, good foot speed, and he's fluid enough to run those quick curls, those quick hitches, those quick comeback routes. He can run all of those routes. So from that standpoint of that personnel grouping against certain defenses, I think it makes sense. It just goes back to the argument of can he be that true why? And that's the, the big debate. But even if they do go with Dolchik, don't be like, oh, what are they doing? He's just going to be the next Evan Ingram because I think that's just going to going to be disingenuous. Very disingenuous because they're not similar prospects whatsoever. Like yeah. Ingram was an athlete, not to say Dolchich isn't a good athlete, but Dolchich has natural hands. Dolchich, Dolchich has uh, the ability to pluck out of the air and the ability to catch away from his frame a lot better than I thought natural, naturally at least. And as far as his adjustments in the air go to Evan Ingram, I also think he cuts better, like after the catch and he makes plays better after the catch. He's just a more fluid, natural athlete to me than Ingram is, at least, you know, as a football player goes, because Ingram does have that second gear that Dolchers does not have. And many tight ends don't have. But I think back to what you were saying before, 
with Dolchich, I feel like, yeah, Dable could pull in a lot of what I think my mind he learned from his early work with um, Belichick and McDaniels because they kind of they were early on to the get the tight end on the outside there on the boundary. I remember them doing with with Gronk during prime Gronk years, and everybody's like, "Really? I never like it was so unheard of at the time to have him running those routes from the boundary." But it kind of takes away, at least in my mind, some of the learning curve for a player like Dolchich if you draft a player like this or any of these tight ends who are, have trouble blocking in line as the Y at the NFL level. Even some who look like they're okay blockers at the, at the collegiate level, like Jeremy Rucker gets a lot of praise for his block blocking. I think there's a chance, there's at least a non-zero chance that he'll struggle when he has to go to the next level and block against the edges at the NFL level. Or you know, if it's a defensive lineman or even a linebacker that comes his way, it's not going to be an easy transition. It's not the Big Ten anymore. It's not college football. And so one way to hide that or at least smooth that transition over would be to use him in the ways that you were talking about as that one in a three-by-one set. And I don't. I think that's well within the realm of possibility they draft a player like Dolchich. And the fact that, that he's shown that within his offense, Brian Dable, and he's found success with it with Dawson Knox, it shows me and it makes me more confident in the idea of drafting a player like Dolchich. He's definitely going to be an option for this team. It makes sense the way Dawson Knox was used last year. If they do have a heavy D-ball influence, which we do believe they will, that Dolchik would be somebody who fits that similar prototype, a little bit smaller, but a good athlete who can stretch the field and make plays down, down the seam, vertically, horizontally, and really any kind of part of the field. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, that's all we have for today on Dolchich. Thank you again for uh, tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. Keep it locked and loaded. More to come next week. We're going to have a very special guest on the show, and she is an excellent NFL Films X's and O's evaluator. I can't wait to hear her takes on this class. So keep it locked and loaded. Draft season is here. Have a good rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you soon.